Challenges won't stop me. It's a strength and resilience mindset. Let me tell you, it's not ignoring the difficulties in your life. Just look at it as a journey of seeing opportunities in the challenges and discovering who God intends for you to be. Whether it's host Melanie Brown's motivational messages or it's courageous women sharing the strategies and habits they utilize when navigating those unexpected turns. You can expect to become equipped and empowered to fight to overcome any challenge that dares to cross your path. The goal? Building and maintaining a challenges won't stop me mindset. Let's go. Welcome to the Challenges Won't Stop Me podcast. My guest today is Brenda Underwood. She's a business life coach. I'm certain Brenda is a great business coach. From our conversation, I can only imagine that she has to be an excellent life coach as well. How do I know? Well, this girl has not only experienced the highs and lows in life, but the wisdom she's gained from all of it is powerful. Growth and wisdom are but two of the invaluable outcomes of going through challenges. And boy, has Brenda gained those in spades. Brenda's transformation from dancing with the devil to dancing in freedom is truly a God story. One that is inspirational because, as Brenda says, you don't appreciate the overcome unless you understand undercome. I am super excited for you to hear my conversation with Brenda Underwood. Let's go. Brenda, I am super excited about having you interview today, and it's in person. Haven't gotten to do too many of those lately. It's so wonderful to see your smiling face across the way. Awesome. I am so excited to be here. Let's talk about the challenges that you have faced throughout your life. Where did it all start? For me, it started at childbirth um, in my mother's womb. And my whole childhood was very dysfunctional. Mm. My mom was married to my sister's father and messing around with my dad. So oh, I came into the world with a lot of conflict, a lot of fighting, a lot of... You know, when they say you're bone of the bone and flesh of the flesh, when a child's in the womb, they feel everything the the mother is going through. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, a lot of my stuff comes from that very troublesome time of birth. I have a sibling from my mom's marriage, and so I'm the child that broke up their marriage, and I'm the child that caused the problems and so all of those things. So when you ask me where it started, I tell people I came into this world in a bundle of conflict. Wow. Were there comments made throughout your childhood that you, it was your fault? Oh, absolutely. My sister and I, I'll be 51. My sister's eight years older than me. To this day, we've not had a very calm 
relationship. It's been a trying relationship since the time I was born. Then what happened as far as your challenges? When did that start? I'm the baby of five. My closest sibling is eight years, my elder. And so it's eight, 10, 12, and 16 years older than me, all of my other siblings. And, you know, the boys, you know, they were in that teenage early adulthood all they're thinking about is women and they're running ripping and running so it's kind of like this baby sister get out of my way and don't go tell mom everything I'm doing and then a sister who saw me as a problem and it just kind of really started with not feeling accepted not feeling received Uh, my mom was a single mom for a portion of the time from the time I was born to two. So she worked two or three jobs at a time. Mm. So she was always gone. And it's my older brother's taking care of me. And so it always had the feeling of rejection always surrounded me. Like, you know, you're bothersome. You're getting on my nerves. Go find something to do while I talk on the phone with my girl or friends or do whatever I'm doing. And so at the end of the day, most of my childhood was a, where do I fit in? That is a lot of weight to carry for a young person. Yeah, so you think, um, I remember the ages of zero to five better than I do from five to 13. Talk to me about when you made some choices that became challenges. In the effort to fit in, I got involved with drugs, you know, because back in the day, living in California, um, my mom was had many, many careers and, you know, she was a nurse and then she was a college professor and then she was an entrepreneur and, you know, she went to school as many times as the government would pay for her to go to school. She was in school. So she had a bunch of degrees and did a bunch of different careers and her being busy all the time made me look for that place to fit in and drugs was the place where I fit in. Black people didn't care for me much because I talked proper. And so they always would say, oh, you're whitewashed or you think you're white or things of that nature. So I wasn't accepted by black people. I wasn't accepted by white people because I was black. And so in school, you know, kids are mean. Yes, they are. (laughs) Yes, they are. And that pecking order is real. But when you get involved with drugs, it's almost like you find a place because drugs don't care if you're black, white, you talk bad, you talk ghetto, it doesn't matter. Right. And so probably at the age of 13, I started smoking cigarettes and sniffing glue with a little girl that my mom told me, stay away from that girl. She ain't nothing but bad news. So to all the kids out there not paying attention to your parents and who they tell you to <laughs> hang around with, don't hang around with the kids your mom and daddy tell you not to hang around with because they probably are going to send you down a road that you will regret going on at some point. It's often that adults can spot those things because they have the wisdom and experience of knowing what friends they had in, when they were younger and knew which ones were bad news. And, Absolutely. And so your mom was spot on when she said it. How did that make you feel? Like going to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's funny because my mom said don't be with her, but she was nice to me. You know what I mean? And so when you've been rejected, your siblings really don't want you in the mist, you know, and it's not that my brothers didn't want me around, but just imagine you've got a two, two-year-old and you're 16 
Exactly. You know what I mean? And you just, you want to be doing what you're doing. And this young lady was friendly to me. She was nice. And, you know, and my mom's like, stay away from her. And I'm like, well, stay away from her and do what? You know, she lived in the neighborhood three doors down. You know, her parents were always gone. I don't know what the deal was with her parents. And so we kind of had free reign at 13 years old, do whatever we want. So she introduced me to smoking cigarettes. She introduced me to sniffing glue. Mm. And so that was the first drug that I tried. I always tell people when I teach at the Bible college that your kids more is caught than taught. That is good. Yeah. And then I had to give credit to my, the pastor who first said that to me. And that's Pastor Chad Craig. He has a church over in Woodstock, Georgia. And he was a mentor to me, um, one of many mentors that I had when I was at my at my current church. And he said more that is caught than taught. And so when I stop and think about all the things that I got involved with, there were things that were exposed to me in the household. Yes. You know, my dad drank, my, my dad drank hard liquor. My mom drank wine, smoked marijuana. Um, my siblings were into their different drugs of choice and alcohol and things of that nature. I stole my brother's cigarettes. My brother would buy a carton of Benson and Hedges. He never kept track of how many packs of cigarettes he had. He'd keep them in the freezer, and I would just pull a pack every once in a while. And so I had free cigarettes. My mom smoked weed, and so I could get weed from her underwear drawer because that's where she kept her stash so you know I would she would roll up her joints and I would grab a couple she never knew because she had a whole bunch of them and so more is caught than taught indeed based on what you're saying yeah so I had a lot of access to things that adults thought they were hiding but kids are very observant I mean I'm gonna keep reiterating when I'm 10 my closest sibling is 18 and then 20, yes. and then 24, and then 26, you know, so they are much older to me thinking, oh, this little girl, she don't know what we're doing. She don't know what's going on, but kids are very observant. And so I started smoking marijuana, and then I started selling marijuana when I got to 15. Wow. And um, then I started, I got introduced to cocaine, and so I started putting cocaine in my joints, which back then we called cavies. So it gave you a nice little, not a downer high, but not a, that erotic up, up. And so, you know, I could function. And so I started smell, um, selling cocaine and marijuana. Those who didn't want to go around the way to go get it, you know, because yes. I lived in a nice middle class home. My dad worked at the local, he was military, so he worked on base. And, you know, my mom, one of her many jobs was an entrepreneur. You know, everybody knew my family. So it was easy for me to have a lot of exposure to sale. And you probably had a lot of people that your family was connected to that once the word got out, everybody was coming to you. Yeah. And so it made it easy. And then I had, when I got older, I had a couple of gentlemen who... We, back in those days, we had smoking areas in high school. Oh, I remember. You remember I'm smoking that same areas? Age, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm 52. You're 51. So, yeah. yes, I remember that. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why would we have smoking areas? You weren't even legal age to buy cigarettes when we got a smoking area at high school. But anyhow, well, in the smoking area, you could get whatever you needed. Any drug, pill, coke, weed, whatever. And so I had... Um, a boyfriend, an, a much older boyfriend up in San Francisco. I grew up in California, um, and I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley. 
So he would supply me drugs pennies on the dollar and I would have a couple of guys in the smoking air in the smoking area who would sell those drugs for me because I couldn't get caught my my mom I wasn't worried about my dad my dad was kind of cool but my mom she would I wouldn't be here today she knew what you, I was doing you had a thriving business at 15, in high school yeah at 15 16 years old wow and so how long did that I guess those challenges and making those decisions how long did that last in your life till I was till I had got pregnant with my son which, so until how, I was 25. 25. I got pregnant with him at 25, had him when I was 26. My mom died oh. when I was 25. And I danced with the devil. I mean, I, I literally, I would say that to people. You know, my mom was real religious, believe it or not. You wear red lipstick, you're going to hell. You wear a short skirt, you're going to hell. You kiss a boy, you're going to get pregnant. Then you're going to hell. And that, those, that rule-based religion made me run from God. And I danced with the devil from the time that I was 13 until the time I was 20, 25, 25 and a half. And when I got pregnant with my son, my son's father was in his addiction just as much as I was. He was actually my connect. When I got pregnant with my son, I was happy for one thing. The gentleman that I got pregnant by, he was the love of my life. Mm. I haven't had a greater love than him since. That was great. But... We were both in addiction. Which is not healthy. Not healthy. And all I thought was, I've got this little boy, or this child, I didn't know what he was at the time, and he didn't ask to be here. Yeah. No, I chose my dysfunction. It's not his fault. And so, when I was carrying him, I would just read the Bible. Couldn't understand a lick, because I grew up, if you can't read King James, then you ain't saved. I'm just wondering how... You'd shifted from having a mother who you said just a moment ago, you didn't like the fact that she was shoving all this Bible down your throat. And then you're choosing to read the Bible to your son. What shifted? I needed peace. Ah. And so before he was even born, I'm pregnant. Now this guy thinks... I'm stuck with him. You know, he proposes, he wants to get married. I'm like, there's no way I'm marrying you. You know, there is no way I'm getting married to dysfunction. Although I love you, just because I love you don't mean you're right for me for the long haul. Brenda, that is some wisdom right there. And for you to have that kind of wisdom at that age is amazing. And I would give God the credit for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And as legalistic as my mother was, she still set a foundation that Jesus was the answer to every problem. I love that. And so all I knew, my mom had just died. Six months later, I have conceived a child when I was told that I would never be able to have children. I'm with the love of my life, but I know that he can't be the love for the rest of my life. The only place I could run was the Bible. And like I said... King James Version, I don't understand a lick of thee and thou and though. And I'm like, but when I read it, even though I didn't understand it to comprehend it, it gave me peace. It It was was just a feeling. It was transforming you. Yeah. And so I just kept reading it because that's the only place me and his dad were fussing and fighting and arguing. And his addiction seemed to get even worse. His drug of choice was crack cocaine. He would disappear for weekends, work for a week, come back, disappear for a weekend, come back, work for a week. And so it was a very trying time. And I just 
had to turn the page. I had to get to the place where I couldn't let the dysfunction that I had chosen to be my life story. I had to make a decision to pivot, to overcome, to move in a different direction. That old King James Bible, which I still have, it falls apart now. And I understand it a whole lot better some 25 years later is what saved me. Wow. Once you started reading it and you were feeling this peace, what then started changing in your habits and your choices? Well, it's it started to be a cry of a plea. You know, get me out of this. I don't know how to get out of it. The only woman who I knew loved me no matter what I did, she's in a grave. Oh. You know, and in between all of the midst of the drugs and all this stuff, I'm dealing with mental illness too. From the time I was a child, I had dr- prayed, God, just take me in my sleep. I didn't want to encounter the other the next day. So up until the time I had my son, I had had three suicide attempts where I was in a straitjacket. On top of all of this, when we get to the place where I decide that I am going to overcome, that I am going to make a change, I started to cry and plead to God, please show me how, show me what. I don't know what. The woman who loves me the most died. I can't depend on my siblings. I can't get back. At the time we were in, my mom lived in Arkansas when the latter years, and I took care of her her last year of life. So all my siblings and stuff were back in California, Fresno, and Los Angeles. Here I am in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and I've got nobody. My stepdad, within six months of my mom's death, marries some chick off of the internet and moves to Georgia. And so I'm like, I'm stuck. What do I do now? And I just started praying, crying and praying and reading the Bible. Praying, crying, and reading the Bible. That's that's all I did. And then one weekend, my son's father took off for a binge, and we had had a big fight. It had gotten physical, and he'd never been real physical with me. And I'm not saying he beat me because I would slap him upside the head, too. I mean, we are both in our addiction, so it's not like he abused me. If there was any abuse, it was going back and forth. But we got into a fight over the rent money. And he took that last $400 we had to pay rent, and he was going on a binge. And I said, if you leave, don't ever come back. And he threw the household keys, the house keys at me, cut me right on my neck, and got in a cab and went and he was going to go smoke up the rent check. And I have this two-month-old baby. I didn't know how I was going to take care of him. Brenda, that is um, unbelievable to think about how all of what you've described in the in the past few minutes, how it all kind of just came to like a meeting point. The way I'm seeing it, it forced you to make a change. Absolutely. Otherwise, it wasn't going to end well. No. When he threw the keys at me, I remember hitting the wall and just sliding down the wall. And I said, God, if you will deliver me from this, I will serve you all the days of your life. And like a deck of cards, face down, he put every card face up and showed me every decision I made that brought me to this place. Sin will eventually have its payday. 
I was like, God, how did I get here? He shows me this deck of cards, all my bad decisions for years of bad decisions. See, we think we're getting away with stuff because sin doesn't have its immediate, <laughs> but years of decision stacks like molasses on a sandwich, and then you can't even chew after Cause, a while. Because it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. I moved into a basement October 1998. I had this little boy, and for the first time I had to get on welfare. And I wasn't on it for a long time. I eventually got a job. That transformation, that sanctification process started to begin. I started to, I got an NIV Bible, which I could understand. Well, good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on the King James. And so I got me a good NIV Bible, started going back to church, and life began to turn a page. And every step of the way, it was literally the Holy Spirit teaching me how to live new, how to be new, how to think new, how to, you know, when you've been in the drug game since the time you were 13, your formative years, trusting him. Prior to that, I had had psychiatrists and psychologists. I mean, I've been diagnosed with major depression with psychotic features, which meant I was homicidal and suicidal. All the medication didn't help me overcome it. The therapy helped me maintain, helped me to cope, but it never helped me break through. It never helped me to say, I'm done with that page of my life. But when I started to have a relationship with Jesus that wasn't rules-based, that was love-based, that was grace-based, that was mercy-based, all of a sudden I started to lose the taste for things that weren't God. Preach it, girl. That's the transformation part. Yeah. Yeah. And we think it's, oh, thou shall not. Jesus did it, did it, did it. It's done, done, done. You live in his done. Yes. New Testament believers, we serve God out of love, not out of obligation. We serve God because he so loved us and died for us that why would you want to break the heart of a father that loves you so immensely? That's the, the motivation behind obedience. He showed me that it's his loving kindness that draws me to repentance. He showed me that you can live different than what you experienced. You can get to a place where you learn from your past, but you don't live in it anymore. Oh, that was good, Brenda. So I'm assuming that your son has reaped what you have sown, not in your former life, and all the challenges that you dealt with then, but he's reaping what you sowed once you made this transformation. Tell me about what he has seen in your life. I'm a big believer that I don't sugarcoat. He's known since a very young age that both of his parents were addicts. Mm -hmm. I don't make mud pie look like chocolate cake. If it's mud pie, it's mud pie. In his formative years, he saw me in my addiction. I was still, I mean, I used to tithe off of my drug money. So even when I moved to Georgia, I was still selling drugs to some extent, lower key, Mm -hmm. um, but I was still selling. I would tithe off of my drug money. So from 1998 to three years later, right before, I mean, right after I moved into my home, I was still in addiction and God was still flushing through me. So my son, his formative years dealt with a very addictive mom, a very angry mom, a very verbally abusive mother a woman who wasn't patient. Mm. So we've had to, in his older years, I've had to coach him through out of what I did to him. Mm -hmm. 
I say that that little boy is mercy and grace walking around my house. He's, he got to see the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. How powerful for him to get to see it and see the negative side of where you were and now the positive side where God is living in you and you're living your life for him. Oh, yeah. So you shared a lot of wisdom today from the things that you have learned from going through challenges and seeing God intervene in a big way in your life and transform your heart and your life. What does it mean to overcome? You know, one of the things as a coach who has dedicated her life to seeing other people not have to take a 25-year road to redemption (laughs) is that you really don't appreciate what you have overcome unless you understand the undercome. Oh, getting to the place where you understand how your decisions had an impact, owning your successes and failures and not blaming anybody else for it, and then turning around and say, I'm going to live differently. I am going to make a conscious effort to move in a different direction. If it doesn't please God, I'm not trying to see how close to the line of sin I can get. I'm trying to run from it. I'm not trying to entertain it. I know that if it is something that God tells me to stay away from, then it's because eventually it's going to destroy me. Wow. Going through all of that and people say, well, everything happens for a reason. Those were choices. I didn't have, that was not God's path for me. God's path for us is never through a path of sin. No. It's never through that path. Now, can he work all things for our good? Can we learn from it? Oh, absolutely, yes. But that has been the biggest thing. You you really appreciate overcoming when you have fully understood what that undercome meant. I cannot even begin to tell you how powerful that is. I will definitely be stealing that and I will be giving you credit. (laughs) I will be using that in in the future. That is for sure. This has been phenomenal and I am grateful for you driving here so that we could do this in person. And I am just excited about a new friendship. So thank you, Brenda. It has been a pleasure. And I hope that if one person sees that they can make a different decision and turn the page and run to Jesus. Trust me, everything he has is so much better than everything you will leave behind. I think we couldn't end on a better note. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you.